at some point, we had a conversation with Dr. Taylor about genetic testing. And I look back now in hindsight and think, but why didn't we do that from the start? Genetic testing has got a big part to play in IVF, but it is such a huge step and it is such a huge commitment. I'm Chris Lawson. In 2015, I started my journey into the world of IVF. Along the way, there was heartache, pain, wacky diets, loss of faith, and a lot of needles. It's a roller coaster ride at the best of times, and as I sat in the fertility clinic waiting room, many times alone with my thoughts, I realised that men don't talk about fertility much. That's why I decided to start up this podcast, IVF Dad. This is my story, and it features some of the experts we met along the way, complete with advice, support, and money-saving tips. Episode 8, Needle and Bruises, Rinse and Repeat. How to Sustain Hope and Routines. So after our first round of IVF, and that first painful negative pregnancy test, we have to wait for a follow-up consultation. Looking at the results, there is not a lot to say other than it was a good first attempt and we should reset and try again. Of course, it's not as easy as that. You have to wait a month. You have to pay for another round and you have to motivate yourself as a couple. Thankfully, Trish didn't have too many side effects from the drugs, apart from a lot of bruises. So we dust ourselves off and start all over again. The only difference this time is that we can miss out some of the drugs to stimulate the eggs as we can move straight to the frozen round, one of the three that we still have in the freezer. And soon enough, we're back waiting for the uterus lining to thicken and that still involves a lot of scans and a lot of blood tests. And then it's embryo transfer day. This is actually quite an anxious moment because you're waiting to find out whether your embryo has defrosted successfully or not. And in some cases, that might not happen. But it works and we're in the embryo transfer room again with the embryologists poking their head through the window and Sonia as full as positivity as last time. And here we are again, inserting one of our frozen embryo subs. Team captain is inserted this time, put the star player in the game. But remember, we also have a couple on the bench ready for next time. We go through our own rituals. We've had our nice lunch on transfer day, the lovely walk, and we don't go back to work that day. We ask the same questions again. Is there anything we did wrong last time? Is there anything we should be eating and drinking or not eating and drinking? And we are cheerfully told, no, just live your lives, do everything in modification. I've had to cut down on my beer. And then we wait again. That's 10 days to see whether it has implanted and whether Trish is pregnant, the longest 10 days of our life. So testing day arrives. It's about this point that I realised that with all my spreadsheet planning, I haven't accounted for one cost, the multiple pregnancy tests we get through every time. We wait together and we do a test. It's a negative. We wait 10 minutes later and do another one. There's this thing on the instructions called the first we, where the hormone is most potent. Well, is a we at 2 a.m. in the morning? Does that count in the morning or is that the night before? We decide it's the night before and surely the next test we do is going to work. It doesn't. We're both a bit crushed at this moment and my motivating inner team coach seems to have taken a leave of absence. 
Okay, so we had four chances with two down and two to go. But the quality of the embryos we have left, we're told, is not as good. Well, the first two were excellent. It's not over, but I thought this was going to be the one. Families are waiting patiently and respectfully at a distance. We need to let them know that it hasn't been successful again. At this point, I've got energy to do that. But over the course of the next year, with each attempt, it gets harder and harder to pick up the phone or send that text and the pressure builds. A double plus, B plus embryos, age-defined embryos, none of that really matters. So much for my team captain, the super subs, all should be put on the transfer list, showing lots of promise but not living up to their form guide. We wait a month or two, depending on how we're feeling, when we feel like we've got a positive mindset and when we can visualise success, we go for another transfer to put another one back and get another negative response. And then another. How can this be? Each time we sit down with Alison, who pours over results, all the factors are good, but something clearly isn't working. Each time we meet up, we modify something to slightly improve performance. Alison outlines what a common sense decision is, what is common sense but expensive, what is worth a shot, what is worth a shot but maybe not yet, and what is likely to be grasping at straws, trying to improve performance. We bring our own list of things to do. As she patiently listens to us and says, well, there's not much medical evidence for that. So that year, 2016, we turned from a couple trying for a baby to a couple doing IVF. We do some more tests to rule out a few things. Trisha, at the start of each procedure, has an endometrial scratch. That basically is a scratch into the womb lining to help the embryos transplant, or implant rather. At the time, there's good evidence to suggest this helps. For Trish, there's a test they recommend to look at what the optimum time is for the lining to be ready for implantation. For the majority of the women, the lining thickens at the same time. But there are some differences for some women and it's really important to try and pinpoint the time where it's at the optimum thickness. And that's it, I'm thinking. That's it, that's the one. We're going to get this test result and it's going to say that we've just been putting it back on day five when really we should be putting it back on day four. It comes back negative. And then the spotlight shifts to me and I shift uncomfortably in my chair. For me, it's a DNA test on my sperm. It's called a fragmentation test. Alison wants to look into something in my past. I've had five miscarriages with my ex-wife over the course of three years and she's wondering whether there is something in my DNA that's affecting the implantation. That is a heavy weight on my mind. It was incredibly painful and it never leaves you, even though it was almost 16 years ago. And I'm afraid of the answer. I'm also afraid of more miscarriages. And that is the thing, you have to be prepared for any answer, for any outcome. As always, Alison tells us we are welcome to see the free counsellor to discuss anything on our minds, either individually or as a couple. I don't take her up on the offer. The results come back, nothing in my DNA to suggest that I'm having a disproportionate effect. And if anything, it has improved due to all the nutrients I've been taking, and maybe a bit of a beer I've cut down on. I don't like to admit that bit. 
and nothing in Trisha's timing of a cycle to suggest that we're trying to implant at the wrong time. So, good news, but we're left frustrated and thinking, what is this? So you might be asking, like I'm asking myself as I recall this, isn't it a bit late for the full car service part of the way through? And it's a difficult one. Do you go for that full advanced service up front? Or do you give it a go and then explore further down the line if you need to? Who knows? Hindsight is a brilliant thing. But a consultant who you met in episode two can answer this one. My mates ask how it's all going. I don't even know what to say. I talk about the odds are still good. We still have four in the freezer. Then I talk about three in the freezer. We're pretty certain this one's going to be the one. Then I talk about how we're doing a new fresh round. And there are positives now with each cycle. I can inject Trish with confidence. If I fill up the syringe with one milliliter over, I don't panic. We also don't need to take some of the expensive drugs as we're not stimulating the egg growth, we're just putting frozen embryos back in. But even that is not straightforward. When the embryos are defrosted, there's a chance that the freezing process may have damaged them. It's relatively small. So we have to wait for the green light before going on for another embryo transfer each time on embryo day. So fast forward to the end of 2016, our first year of doing IVF, and we've put back all four embryos from the first round and we have nothing to show for it. That's on top of the 30 plus scans, the 30 plus appointments and the 14 eggs. But this isn't a sub story. This is just the process. It takes time. It takes consistency, commitment and faith. The following year, we embark on a fresh round after a break and we change one fundamental thing. We plan to send the embryos off for testing before we implant them. I'm going to get the embryologist to explain that in more detail. It can tell whether the embryo genetics are going to result in um, it not implanting or alternatively cause a miscarriage. If the genetics are fine, then that doesn't mean it will result in a pregnancy, but clearly the odds are much better. But I hear you ask, why didn't you do that from the start? Well, for one, it's expensive. It's about £400 for an embryo. And two, there is a risk that by taking a biopsy of the embryo, that you can ruin it. It's small, but it's a risk. And you can get an overnight testing process, which is even more expensive, or a longer test, but that means the embryos need to be frozen and transferred, put on hold until the test results are back. Basically, it's a shortcut. If the results come back positive, then you know that these blastocysts are going to have a significantly greater chance of implantation. If they come back negative, then you know that they're either not going to implant or miscarry. Again, with hindsight, I'm looking at why we didn't do this at an earlier stage or straight away. In fact, one of the embryologists says that some women won't even consider putting the embryo back without doing the test. And we were thinking at the time, well, that's a bit strange. And of course, one of the big factors is the cost. If someone says you need to pay £400 for each of the embryos to be tested, or you can just take the chance and put them back, you may think twice as all the costs mount up. However, if someone says pay £1,200 and you will save yourself pain and time and the cost of three more rounds over a course of a year, you might think differently. 
We choose to do it because we are exhausted. And we're not even halfway through at this point. I'm sick and tired of trying to be optimistic. And Trish is tired of taking all of the drugs. But what can you do? But then a curveball happens. This is about March 2017 now. And we decided to do the embryo testing. So we're off again. Fresh round, injections, scans, hand-holding, schedule on the fridge, taking time off work, making sure I'm there as much as possible as we see the eggs grow. And we get to know Liz and Jalia, the sonographers and the others. Eleven eggs were collected. Five have been fertilised normally. I'm working out the cost of four embryos being tested based on our form from last time. The first fresh round we did. And do we do overnight testing or freeze them and then send them off? And then we get a call on day five and we're told we only have two blastocysts this time. That looks like a 50% decrease in quantity. We are devastated. Even though we have been warned every cycle can be different, every fresh round can be different, I didn't really believe it. We had four first time, now we've got two. There seems little point sending us off for testing. We might as well just put them both back in. We won't waste any time. We save some costs and we're going to know sooner or later. So we put them back in. And you might remember from episode seven, there's pros and cons of transferring one or two at a time. But we are impatient for a result. At this point, our year-on-year stats are going in the wrong direction. And of course, our age is going in the wrong direction too. And I think this has a lot to do with our decision. And every time we're going through another round, fresh or frozen, transfer, collection, our friends and family are gently inquiring how it's going. The unwritten bit, as we're imagining it, is when is enough? And some are not so gently saying, are you sure you're not getting taken for a ride by the hospital and they're just taking your cash? So when is enough? Basically, this is a hard one. When the money runs out, when your doctor tells you to give up, when you can't do it anymore. Trish and I are nowhere near that yet. We still believe. But we put off a holiday, moving house, a new car as we want to make sure we have enough cash for what might be to come. In fact, I'm still driving the same car I bought in 2003, as my mates like to remind me every time I see them. Car or a round of IVF, that was the choice. So, time for a fact check. Sperm quality tends to decrease with age, in particular the shape, or what they call the morphology, and the movement, the motility of your sperm. They're both likely to deteriorate as you get older, making it more difficult for them to fertilise an egg. And you may also produce fewer sperm as you age. Sperm DNA fragmentation is a test that checks how much abnormal genetic material there is within the sperm. And if you've got a lot of abnormal genetic material, then it can result in miscarriages or IVF failure. Now, can't be cured, but it can be treated and actually a healthy lifestyle can make quite a significant difference. So if you move a tiny bit more forward, if you've got a chance. Yep. There we go, that's perfect. Yep. Here's Dr. Taylor, our consultant. The DNA in the head of sperm 
can be vulnerable to damage from what are called free oxygen radicals and promoting antioxidant activity may help reduce some of the DNA damage in sperm. If there are high levels of DNA damage, that may be a factor that contributes to delay in natural conception and sometimes poorer outcomes from IVF cycles actually as well. So, so the vitamins, I've got them here, the vitamins you recommended was vitamin C, E, something called selenium, and then omega-3 and fish oil. Omega-3 right? is in fish oil, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and actually, a, a subsequent test did actually improve. I do remember that. Although whether we can say it's because of the vitamins and things you took uh, in between is really difficult to say with any certainty. And you know, much as we'd like to be able to claim that what we recommend <laughs> is making a huge difference, I think we have to be honest and say that there can be huge variations in sperm from one sample to another naturally anyway yeah okay all right well uh you know that, that's good to know that now after i cut out all of that beer <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no i mean it, it, seriously i think one of the things that sort of struck me was there were no real extremes and and you may well read actually you should stop taking alcohol mm. or you should do this or do that and i think one of the most consistent mm. things that you said to us was carry on living your lives mm. and Keep calm, yeah, mm. but don't don't stress about keeping calm yeah. and you know, do things in moderation. Yes, uh, and I and I still say that to people, other than smoking, actually, that's the one absolute that I would always recommend couples give up smoking. But actually, rather than getting couples to have an utterly miserable life on top of going through the whole fertility journey, unless there is really good evidence for um, something, I try to have a balanced approach to say you've got to have some normal life here as well. Mm. So, you know, don't make yourselves feel horribly guilty if you have the odd drink. Um, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world at all. Here's Emma, one of the embryologists at the clinic. Nature's actually really, really good at quality control and nature will shut down embryos when there isn't the right information within them. I think it's a real misunderstood that when you're not conceiving a pregnancy month after month, it's because you're not getting the sperm and the egg together. Actually, you probably are. Fertilisation is the easy bit. And yeah. if you've got a good sperm count and you've got eggs being produced every month, fertilisation is the easy bit. Yeah, It probably is happening every month. You probably are getting an embryo floating down those fallopian tubes, but something fundamentally is shutting down and stopping that embryo being able to implant. And actually what we're doing in the laboratory is seeing that happen. And we're watching a, a vast proportion of them not even reach a stage where they could implant into a lining. So it's not that we're doing anything. It's just we're watching what would have happened for the, for the past 12 months that you've been trying in the first place. So 12 eggs to me is someone's journey of a year of them trying to get pregnant. And if at the end of that, those 12 eggs have gone to eight fertilized, have gone to you know, two blastocysts, and they've come to the fact where they were both genetically non-viable, well, there's your year of trying and no pregnancy at the end of that year. Nature's very good at stopping things from growing. So I think somewhere we need to highlight that the IVF journey is not, it's not a magic potion. It is that we we try and get the best from what we've got, but it doesn't change what's probably happening inside anyway. It's just we're watching it. That makes a lot of sense. And I think we thought, wow, we've spent all of this time with these blastocysts and none of them worked in that, that whole of our first year. And it, and it felt exhausting. And then we had a conversation with Dr. Taylor about genetic testing. And I, and I, I look back now in hindsight and think, but why didn't we do that from the start? 
that's it's it's a really good question and it's something that I get asked quite quite regularly and I think genetic testing has got a big part to play in IVF but it is such a huge step and it is such a huge commitment and again there is there is evidence on both sides of the coins for genetic testing I think genetic testing, from my personal opinion, has got a big part to play in patients that are very good at creating a lot of blastocysts, where we know there is a very high potential that they're not all going to be genetically normal. So like yourselves at the age of 40, creating five good quality blastocysts. I mean, that is going to take you, say you freeze all those blastocysts and then you come back on month one and you have your first embryo put back and you don't get pregnant. That's very disappointing, but you can move on quite quickly. Transfer number two, you decide to put two back and you get pregnant, but you miscarry. Well, suddenly you're six months older because that's how long it takes to recover. And it's not until we get to embryo four and five where maybe, you know, maybe embryo five works. Brilliant if you if that's what happens in your journey. But you're suddenly a year down the line from when you actually had that IVF. And had we have diagnosed all five of those embryos at the beginning, we could have told you within two weeks that none of them were going to work if that was the case. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where it's got a really big part to play. But I also think it's because the literature isn't, there is literature there to support it, but equally there is literature that doesn't support it. And I think, like you said yourself, you were suddenly faced with the idea of having to have IVF. Could we have even thrown that in at that point and caused even more confusion to an already daunting situation I'm not sure it's that easy and I think a lot of patients are very resistant to IVF as it is understandably but to then start throwing in uh, you know the misunderstanding of genetics I think it's a very very big dice to roll and I think it's it's hard it's hard to get that into the first cycle it makes a lot of sense I think let alone the cost as well absolutely and it is it's exhaustively expensive um put it bluntly in your second cycle where there was only two blastocysts you put them back I'm not going to change the outcome of those embryos by testing them. Yeah. I might save a miscarriage. I might save you some time. Yeah. But I'm not going to change the outcome. I can't make them genetically normal. But when you have got a group of five or six embryos, finding out which one you should be using first, I think is quite important, especially yeah. when you do not have time on your side. Yeah, yeah. Back to the story. I've changed jobs. We've moved to Norwich from London for a change of scenery because of my job. And Trish leaves her job to come and live with me. Whilst Trish looks for a new job, she chills out for a bit. And maybe just relaxing for a bit and our double embryos will do the job this time. We have our usual fight as to when pregnancy test day is. And I remember we're sat in the bedroom overlooking the river in Norwich. And Trish comes back in from the bathroom holding the stick. It was a great view. There's always ducks and swans just gliding backwards and forwards, really, really calm. And we are anything other than calm. As we wait for the blue lines to appear, is agony. And most of the time, of course, they don't appear. So we put it down and we try to wait for the allotted time, occupying ourselves with anything, but everything else is so insignificant. Then we pick it up again and we look at results and we have to look again because it's positive. I don't know who was more surprised, to be honest. Three more pregnancy tests later, another 15 quid, and we're convinced. Trish travels back to London the next day. It's 50 pounds for a blood test back at the clinic, but we want to be sure. And there's no doubt in it, she is actually pregnant. 
all of those embryos, all of those drugs. We now know she can get pregnant and maybe even twins. It's so hard to describe the emotions. Do I dare to hope that our dreams have come true? There is huge excitement, but also vulnerability. The more I hope, the more I could be disappointed, but I am so excited. Trish is in a state of shock and controlled excitement as well. Wow, twins potentially. Also, we've broken the cycle and we've moved to the next stage, pregnancy. Instantaneously, it all feels worth it. I suggest we open a bottle of champagne. Trish reminds me that she shouldn't drink now and we celebrate with a cup of peppermint tea. It tastes good. So next episode, we move to the six and 10 week scan and deal with the news. Thank you for listening. This has been IVF Dad. I started this podcast to provide support during the lonely fertility journey and ensure others didn't suffer in silence. So please do share it with anyone it can help. Log on to IVFDad.com. I would love to hear from you and hear your stories. For future episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, etc. Follow us on Insta and Twitter at IVFDadPodcast. And on the website, check out the email and the show notes. There's some great links, advice and money-saving tips. Stay healthy, stay positive, and remember, it only takes one. <laughs>